0: See, It's Torin. Hey, thanks for worshiping with us. Look, I know it's not the same as when we're all together. Uh, Our worship and our worship team is is phenomenal, and I love being able to do that together. But there is something that's pretty cool about having a network, a family of churches that are passionate about the kingdom of God and missional generosity, and that we get to kind of partner together. So thanks for worshiping with us in your homes. Uh, Sometimes it's just so powerful, To have those words just sung over us. We need to be reminded of them. Really excited for the day that we can all be back here together though. Can't wait for that. Hey, this right here friends. This is a charcuterie board that I helped make for Brenda a little over two years ago. Uh, This board today I think is going to help us understand a little bit better who the father is. And also, what he wants to do with us. You're like, yo, T, that's weird. How are you talking about a charcuterie board? Well, hang with me, and I'll try to make it all make sense. Uh, We're in the second week of our Words That Perform series. Uh, It's all about the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Last week, Austin kicked us off with the intro to the Apostles' Creed, which was simply... I believe, talking about how the Apostles' Creed has been this, uh, uh, not just creed, but these words that actually do work in. Not just our lives today, but throughout the history of the church. And so we are actually caught up in this beautiful stream of faith and belief that started with the apostles and moves all the way to today. I have the privilege of talking about the next section in the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator Of heaven and earth. And there's actually three words that are performing, right? Because words that perform, like some words, they inform, right? They kind of tell us about it. Some words, though, perform, right? Some words have real weight and depth, meaning that that even when we speak them and when we hear them, they do something to us. and, And that's what these words do. And there's three words that I think it's important for us to take a look at this morning it's the word Father, it's the word Almighty, and it's the word Creator. Uh, there is one of these three words, though, that I think actually often overperforms in our lives. Uh, when you see this word, what comes to your mind? Uh, what feelings does it begin to evoke? This word right here is a word that absolutely performs in our lives. Uh, some of you, when you see the word and hear the word Father, like you feel like warm feelings, like, like, Father sounds safe and and encouraging. Uh, A protector, someone who cares for you, someone who loves you, someone who is always looking out for your best interest. And then there's others of us, though, that when we hear the word Father, we we have very different feelings, right? Very different thoughts. For some of you, when you hear the word Father, you, you think pain. Maybe for some of you, you feel abandonment. Maybe it doesn't feel safe. Maybe there is a sense of disappointment when you hear that word. Like you've been trying for so long to win the approval of your father, and no matter what you seem to do, like it was never quite enough. Or maybe if your dad wasn't in the picture, like that word just feels strange, and you don't even really know what to do, but there is this ache inside of your soul that says you were missing something. You see, the word father is a word that actually often overperforms because we always take the experience that we had with our earthly dad and then we take that and apply it to God as father. All of us do. And here's the truth, here's the reality, man. None of us, not a single one of us, no matter how good your father on earth may have been, none of us had a perfect earthly dad. Uh, Some certainly were better than others, but no one had a perfect example of what Father is supposed to be. I'm trying the hardest to be that for my own kids, but I know I fall short so often. And my kids then will often view God as Father through the lens of me as Father. I do that as well, and so do you. And that's why I think that it's so important that we get a biblical understanding of what father actually means. When the Bible says that our God is father, it means that he loves and cares for his kids. I want you to let that sink in a little bit. Because that may not be the image of father that you bring into this discussion. He loves and cares for his kids. Uh, the way that we begin to learn this actually is what Scripture teaches us, what Scripture says about God as Father. And so what I want to do right now in, in the, the next just couple of moments is uh, I don't want you to open up your Bibles. I hope that you have your Bible. We're going to be looking at a passage uh, in just a little while. But right now I just want you to even close your eyes and allow these verses to just kind of wash over your soul. That whatever lens of Father you bring into this discussion as of God as Father, that you will allow the scripture to re-show us who God as Father actually is. James chapter 1 verse 17, James reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. Exodus 34 6 says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious Long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. God, our Father, is merciful and he's gracious and long-suffering, abounding in goodness, full of truth. Psalm 34, says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus actually says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Our God is a God who knows how to give good gifts to his kids. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. Jesus told us what the Father is like. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God the Father is. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place that whoever believes on Jesus won't die but will have everlasting life. Look, that's the love that the father has for his kids. There's a story that I talked about two weeks ago. It's the story of the prodigal son. Jesus actually shares this story to tell us what the father's like. And we often read that story or we hear that story and we assume that the central character in the story is the prodigal son. But the central character is not the prodigal son. The central character is actually intended to be the father. The father who actually is shamed by his son, who has to sell off Parts of his property to give them to his son, so that his son can go off and ruin, lose, destroy what the father has given to him. And then the son, when everything is gone and he has nothing left, begins to turn and come back to the father. And we find out some really important things about the father: right, that the father is actually scanning the horizon, waiting for his child to return. That as soon as the child. Begins to come back to the father. The father is not only looking for the child, but comes running to the child. And he throws his arms around the child. And when the child asks for forgiveness, the father forgives and brings the child back into the family and celebrates. That's that's the kind of God that we have as Father. Now there's a second word. Not just God as Father that performs. Father certainly performs. But there is another word, and it is the word almighty. When the Bible says that our God is almighty, it means that nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is too hard for him. Uh, I don't know about you, but this has felt like one of the most chaotic times that I've ever gone through in my 45 years on this earth. Um. There's really kind of two major events. I mean, I can still remember when, when Space Shuttle Challenger happened, but that, that had kind of, I don't know, national implications. It was an international story, of course, but it, it didn't seem to have long-lasting or very personal effects for most Americans. Uh, when 9-11 happened, though, back in 2001, like that was something that really seemed to, have a major, massive implication for all of our nation and, and, and really around the world. But even that, I think, pales, to be honest, to the pandemic that we're experiencing here in 2020. The way that it touches each and every one of us very, very uh, personally, as, as we go into uh, these places of quarantine and there's worry and there's anxiety and we're not sure what the future is going to hold, are we going to get sick? Is somebody that we know and love going to get sick? Do I have it? Am I going to pass it on? Like we're thinking about all those things. How much is it growing? Are we fighting it? Are we able to? I don't know about you, but it feels pretty chaotic right now in our world. And, and uh, I think that often makes us ask the question, like, is, is God actually in control? Right? Is God actually in control? I've, I've felt out of control myself. I've been having uh, anxious dreams. Any of you guys having anxious dreams like this? Like, you, you'll wake up not feeling like completely Rested. Like, you've had dreams where, like, either you needed to do something or be somewhere or something was supposed to happen and you needed to get it done. And, like, I've been having, like, what that tells me, I'm normally a pretty chill dude. Like, I'm fairly positive. Like, I'm not usually too worried about the future. I don't usually experience that kind of anxiety. And I'm having those kinds of dreams. Some of you, like, this has been really, really difficult. And we want to know, like, God, where are you? Are you in control? Well, what? What the Bible tells us is that not only is God father, but God is almighty, which means nothing is too hard for him. Uh, Now, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, okay? So that means that God is in control and good, which therefore means he can be trusted. But it's important for us to understand that it doesn't mean that there is not still real evil in the world that God has allowed to have limited and temporary authority. Let me say that again. Even though God is sovereign and he is in control, he has still allowed evil, our ability to make choices and the ramifications of those choices, to still have limited and temporary authority. God is still sovereign and God is still working out his plan and it will come to fruition. His will will win. All right, God is still going to do what he intends to do. Nothing can hold that back. Nothing is too hard for him. But it's important that we understand that in the midst of this, God's power still reigns supreme. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, when we dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, the one that nothing is too hard for him, we can... Trust in his goodness and allow him to be a refuge, a place of safety that we go to. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Kids, if you're watching right now, we're going to do something together, okay? So kids, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say nothing is too hard for you. All right? So we're going to say that first in a whisper. You guys ready? Let's say it together. Nothing is too hard for you. Now let's say it a little bit louder. You ready? Nothing is too hard for you. Now we're going to yell it out, all right? So that all of our neighbors can hear. Nothing is too hard for you. Adults, why is it that kids can trust God's word sometimes way easier than we can? Friends, let's remember God is almighty. Nothing is too hard for him. The third word that is performing is the word creator. When the Bible says that God is creator, it means that he solves problems. You're like, what? <laughs> why, why, does, why does creator mean that God solves problems? Uh, well, this is where I think we f- uh, start to actually understand not just who God is, but what God wants to do with us. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then verses 26 through 28, and then chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to start, though, in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. And we're going to start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is really the introduction to the Apostles' Creed, right? Where it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. We get it right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is actually a really key verse that I'm going to come back to a little bit later. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Or another way to to say that is, there must be light. And there was light. God speaks. God speaks. And out of nothing, something exists. Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then we go on to see what he does in the second day. The second day he creates the earth and the sky. He separates the sky from the earth Then on the third day, he separates the sea from the land. He creates dry ground. And then he actually creates vegetation. That happens on the third day. On the fourth day, he creates the sun and the moon, something to govern the day by and something to govern the night by. He actually creates time on that fourth day. And then on the fifth day, we get the sea and the sky, all the animals that are in the sea and all the uh, animals that fly in the sky. And then on the sixth day... His last day of creation. He creates all of the animals that walk along the ground. And then we read that he creates us. Humanity. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, God does something uh, in this space when he creates humanity. He, He gives them his image, all right, that we are created in the image of God, and he gives them a job to do. God says, you're going to do what I do. You're going to rule in partnership with me. You're going to subdue the earth, which kind of has this idea of taking the raw elements that God has placed in here, and we're going to build something with God. We're going to take the earth someplace in partnership with God. And then we keep reading. We get down to the end of day six and into day seven, chapter two, verse two. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Now, there are two things that are a little bit interesting in the creation narrative that I think are important for us to pay attention to. The first one you've probably heard about. The second one you've maybe never thought of before. The first one is what happens on day seven. What does God do on day seven? Kids, what does he do? That's right. He rests. God rests. Why does God rest? God doesn't get tired like you and I get tired. He didn't need to do that. God rests because he wants to set an example for us. Because even though we're made in his image, we are not almighty like he is. We need to rest. Not only that, but when we rest, we are reminded that while we are not working, God is still holding everything together. God can still be trusted. You see, God rests on the seventh day, not for himself. He does it for us. It's a model for us to follow. Now, the second thing, though, that God does here that seems weird to me, I I had never really thought of before I started studying this. Why did God take six days to make creation? God literally can just speak a word and it happens. So why did God take six? Why didn't he just create the whole world as it was at the end of day six, all put together and perfect just the way that he wanted it, just simply by saying, make it be so. Give me the world. Make it awesome. Like God could have just said that, but instead he takes six days to do it. He speaks something from nothing. You know why God did it? I think for the same reason that he rested on day seven. Uh, Jump back with me to chapter one, verse two. There's something very interesting that God does at the very beginning. God actually, in verse two, says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created something, but those words there, formless and empty, All right, the words darkness on the surface of the deep, that's really this idea of God creating chaos and disorder. Now, not the kind of chaos that is associated with evil, more the chaos that is associated with a sense of disorder. And then what God does is He then begins to order the chaos, right? He he takes what is disordered and He orders it. That's what He's doing all throughout creation. Uh, Old Testament scholar John Walton, he's one of my favorite uh, Genesis scholars, Uh, I actually was using his commentary for this, he he, he says this, he says, in the ancient Near East, the existence of chaos was a central concern. Within the cosmos, the raging sea and darkness are forces of chaos. You see that in verse 2? Genesis is interested in an organized world as against a chaotic world or as opposed to a chaotic world. He says this now, God is bringing the cosmos into existence by organizing and assigning roles and functions. That is, by bringing order to chaos. (laughs) Why did God do it that way? Why did he decide to start with disorder and chaos and then bring order to it? For the same reason I believe that he rested on the seventh day. He wanted to set an example for us. Give us a model of not only who he is, but what he wants to do with us. Remember, when God created humanity, he does something special. He creates us in his image and likeness, and then he asks us to rule with him, to take the world someplace with him. When God creates mankind, he gives us that mandate. The cultural mandate is what we call it. We talked a lot about this uh, a year ago. Now, I told you that this charcuterie board was actually going to help us understand not only who God is, but what God wants to do with us. Uh, You see, I uh, actually helped create this board, but I did not do it alone. You see, I actually made this charcuterie board with my son, Kingston. He was the one that was actually uh, kind of helping me put it together. I'll admit, I put the idea in his head. But he and I did it together. In fact, I I say he made it with my help. Like we took some, uh, basically it was a a dead piece of wood. It was a leftover scrap piece that I wasn't sure had any use other than maybe to be burned. And then we took that nothing of dead wood, right? That was basically kind of chaos or formless emptiness, okay, if we're going to use the Genesis words. And then what we did with it is we brought order and beauty out of it right? It was both beautiful and useful to somebody else. It was useful to Brenda, useful to her flourishing. Well, at least her charcuterie's flourishing. Is that a thing? I know there's a charcuterie board, but what are charcuteries? I guess they're just like things to eat. But uh, that's what we got to do together. Now, in this third picture of Kingston, this was taken a little bit later that day after we gave it uh, to mom. Do you see that smile on his face? Uh, his smile represents the joy that he had in doing something with his dad that was useful for his mom. I can tell you that as his father, I felt even more. Like whatever smile he had, I had even more because we got to do it together. Right? I loved partnering with my son to create something that was beautiful and useful to bring some order out of the chaos. Kai couldn't use a 24-inch 220-volt, three-horsepower bandsaw. He couldn't do that on his own, but, but I could help him do that. Right? He couldn't use power drills to, to cut it and drill holes in it. He couldn't use the power sander to sand it down and make it. But I could help him. He didn't have the ability to do that, but I had that kind of power. And there was nothing that was greater for me than to be able to do that along with him and see him produce something that was beautiful and useful. Uh, That was honestly, it's probably one of my favorite memories for the last couple of years, doing that with my son. I loved using my power and my guidance to help him create something for his mom. Uh, This, friends, is what God wants to do with us in this season. Like, I don't know uh, about you guys, but this is kind of an unsettling time. Okay, baloney, I do know about you guys. We're all feeling that way, right? Every single one of us is feeling that way. I told you how it's already affecting my sleep at times. I told you that uh, there's sometimes when my attitude is affected by all the disorder that I feel. And this is exactly why it's so important during this time that we're reminded who our God is like. That he is a father who loves his kids and wants to take care of them. He is almighty, which means nothing is too hard for him. And he is creator. He likes to partner with us to bring order from chaos. And friends, we're in a chaotic time. But God actually has something that he desires to do with us. We've learned a little bit about who God is. Look, I can't teach you everything about who God the Father is. We don't have time and space for that. But what the Spirit told me this past week, he said, remind them who God the Father is. Remind them what it means that I'm almighty. Remind them what it means that I'm creator. But do more than that. The Spirit said, remind them what I want to do with them. Look, friends, every single one of us has been given a job, a calling, a task, right? That God actually wants to partner with us to bring order from chaos for the sake of serving others. So I want to ask you right now as we close, what is it? What is it that God is calling you to do in this time, in this space? Remembering that God is our Father who loves us and cares for us. That our God is almighty. Nothing is too hard for him. And he is the one who creates order from chaos. And so in the midst of this chaotic time, what does God want to partner with you to do? It doesn't have to be huge. It could be simple and small. But there are folks in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your job, that God wants to help you serve. To bring some order into this time of disorder. This is what God is wanting. What is is your charcuterie board during this pandemic? Now, I don't expect you to have an answer right now. But what I want you to do is I want you to sit with God this week and really ask that question. Be reminded that God is a father who loves you and cares for you. God is almighty. Nothing's too hard for him. God wants to do this creative work of bringing order from chaos with you. So friends, let's take some time, maybe today, just sit for 10 minutes and say, God, how do you want to use me? What is my charcuterie board right now, God? If you can do it by yourself, it's probably not from God. God wants to show you his love. He wants to perform his power. He wants to help you bring beauty from death, bring order from chaos. Our God is Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Father God, we want to be a people who love you, who believe you, who trust that you are a God who genuinely loves us and wants to give us good gifts when we ask you that you are a God who is long-suffering and patient and gracious and full of goodness. God, that is who you are. Let us not just say it with our minds. Let us believe it in our bones. And God, let us be confident that you are almighty, that nothing is too hard for you. And then, God, let us partner with you to bring order in this chaotic time so that we can serve others and be your hands and feet. Show us, Jesus, where you want to partner with us. We love you. Thanks for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.